This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Ping.tv. Join the discussion at Ping.tv slash gold. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Pain tv slash gold my name is dustin gold and we are we are number 17 in news commentary in ireland ladies and gentlemen as you know if you listen to yesterday's episode 105 all right folks what we are going to do tonight here in episode 106 is there are a couple of loose ends i need to tie up and then we are going to review the world economic forum uh june 2022 discussion on central bank digital currency it's very important all right as you know over the last several episodes we've been looking at central bank digital currency and universal basic income uh, mainly from the standpoint of the tech companies that are working on it we also got into the joe biden administration executive order and subsequent papers uh, around central bank digital currency, we got into uh, Consensus, the company that is working with the central banks and the private sector to build a central bank digital currency system on top of the Ethereum network. And so we're going to start getting into the World Economic Forum panel discussion, uh, International Monetary Fund panel discussion, a bank for international settlements panel discussion so i'm going to start to bring the policy wonks and the central bankers into the conversation and the reason why i am doing this for you my mere mortal humans out there my little gold pillars is because you will only understand and appreciate the big picture if you look at both sides of this policy to move forward with a system of total control, which it is. It's a system that will allow the technocracy to control the means of production and the distribution of goods and services. But you have to look at the tech side because the tech side and the so-called private sector money moving into the tech projects is very, very important because that will show you what the mad scientists are up to, what they're actually building. All right. If the technologists are building it and the so-called private sector investors are investing in it, then it is being built. Now you have to look from the banker side, the bureaucratic side, the governmental side to see what they're saying 
as far as the policy and the regulations go. And then you'll understand how the two pieces fit together. And then we'll have a fairly clear understanding of what the whole system is going to look like and when it's going to be rolled out. Now, you will see in this World Economic Forum panel discussion from June 26, 2022, a couple of central bankers, and I'll get into the panelists before we get into the video, are talking about a timeline for the European Central Bank digital currency. They also talk about how important the public-private partnership is in all of this. They make the claim that the central bank bankers will bring stability and thus trust to central bank digital currency, while the so-called private sector will bring innovation and the internet technology, the IT infrastructure needed to distribute the CBDC. And so it's important. And we're going to watch the whole thing. At some points, it may sound a bit boring. I will stop it. I will jump in there. I will add some comments and such, but we need to go through all of it. Trust me, we do. And this leads up to my coming discussion with Wide Awake Jim on the research he's doing into the Bank for International Settlements and the carbon credit system and all of that other stuff. Again, we're going to combine our research and then be able to paint a big picture for you guys. Then start to talk about solutions. Now, where we are in our research right now is that I believe that this is coming sooner rather than later. And you're going to hear one of the central bankers tonight talking about rolling out the European CBDC uh, by late 2026, early 2027. Uh, Jim believes it's going to take a generation. Now, I do not believe Jim is wrong. I believe it will take a generation uh, maybe not that long, but may, maybe close to that. For them to have all 194 countries tied into one international CBDC that uh, takes the place completely of fiat cash of paper money and coins, that may take a generation. But big chunks of this system are going to be built and it's going to be rolled out much sooner than that. I mean, I'm only going off of the technology that's being built and what the central bankers and the bureaucrats are saying. But it seems to me that they are very giddy, they're very excited, and this is right around the corner. And I don't believe that they have to have all 194 countries tied in to one CBDC for this to work because they're going to allow other forms of money to operate within the system in the earlier phases so you'll see some of that in this panel discussion all right what i want to do first folks before i remind you to leave a five-star review at apple podcasts along with a comment up oh, i just reminded you so please do that folks it really does help us our numbers truly are growing every day uh, but the apple podcast comments and the five-star reviews really do help move us up in the ranking so if you haven't done that please do so the other thing is if you'd like to leave a donation it is the christmas season and i would appreciate it because we are spending our own money on software every month etc cetera, etc cetera, and we are not uh, fully monetized yet so if you'd like to do that it's donor box dot org slash dustin gold show and the link is in the description and also think about joining pain.tv slash gold 
um, for $8.58 a month, and you get access to the ad-free video version of my podcast, The Dustin Gold Standard, as well as the Thomas Paine podcast, and you get access to a Facebook-like mobile application and website with a like-minded group of folks that are fans of this show and the Thomas Paine podcast, and you can create groups in there, talk with people, trade information back and forth. I had... The first chance in the last couple of weeks, really since William was born, to get in there today and look at all my direct messages. And I want to thank all of you. I started emailing people back, sending me articles and research and such for future shows. I've got three people from the audience that uh, want to come on as guests. I've got a doctor I'm working on as a guest. I've got our doula and midwife. I've got Farmer Carol. So I have about 10 people right now in the pipeline that are getting ready to come on as guests. So all the people that I've talked to about calling you, I will be calling you over the next couple of days, maybe this weekend. And I just need to do a preliminary call with you, figure out what we're going to talk about, how it fits into the show. And then I will schedule you to come on. So maybe we'll do guest interviews uh, next week, folks. So that's going to be fun. I want guests. I need a little break from just talking. I want to have some conversation with folks and see what you guys bring to the table. All right. What I want to talk about now, ladies and gentlemen, before we get into the panel discussion, we brought up the term decentralized, right? Decentralized. That keeps coming up. Now, I've heard the term decentralized bandied about. Uh, probably for the last almost 10 years from friends of mine, from mainly the libertarian uh, sector of politics, people that were early adopters of cryptocurrencies, people that really believed in Bitcoin. They made a bunch of money off Bitcoin in the beginning, so they were on board with it. And they would always say, this decentralized system is the way of the future. Cryptocurrency and the blockchain is going to break the government. It's going to break the central banks. And as I explained over the last couple of shows, I trickled it in there, folks, that the technologists, the technocrats that have been building these systems, building the cryptocurrency and the blockchain systems, are working with the governments and the banks. All right. The CBDC system largely is being built on top of Ethereum. All right. Ethereum, I covered a couple of episodes ago. You can listen to that. I explain it. But essentially, these technologists are working with the governments and the central banks. They're not there to break it. But anyway, this term decentralized gets thrown around like a bumper sticker slogan. Hey, it's all going to be fair. It's all going to be equitable. We're going to break the banks. We're going to break the big, uh, big, big government uh, because this whole system is decentralized. And so you hear people use the term all the time, decentralized, decentralized, decentralized. And you say, what does that really mean? Well, it means that all the data isn't stored in one location. Well, at which point was all the data stored at one location? So what is a centralized system? Like, is there a giant computer sitting inside of the U.S. Capitol or over at the Treasury or at the Federal Reserve? Was that ever a thing? Like one giant computer where all the information sits and you'd call that centralized? I don't know. I'm just asking the question. Now, for those of you that don't know, that aren't in IT or aren't really techie, you have a server, right? Just think of it like your computer. And so you have whatever, one terabyte of hard drive space on your home computer. 
And so instead of storing all your, I don't know, iPhone photos on your one computer, you have five computers, five servers, and then you store all those iPhone photos across the different servers, right, uh, computers, and that goes up into the internet, and then you pull it back onto your phone. Let's just say that's how you have it set up. Well, that would be called storing it in the cloud, right? That's what the cloud is. Five servers sitting in your basement, goes up to the internet, comes back to your phone. You're pulling the information off the cloud. They would say that that is decentralized because you have the information stored across five computers or five servers instead of just one. If it was all on one server, it'd be centralized. I'm just putting this in very simple terms for you. So the way that they talk about blockchain and cryptocurrency is that all the data, all the ledgers, the smart contracts, you know, without hitting you with too much tech stuff and bogging you down, they say instead of that all being stored on one computer, centralized, it's stored across multiple computers, decentralized. So I start asking myself, now for the last 10 years, I knew this was a scam. I've openly talked about it. I knew from common sense and from my gut that it was a scam. They want you to believe when you read articles, we went through a few of them over the last couple of shows, last couple of episodes, where they'll say, you know, it's protected because it's on uh, decentralized servers all around the world. So what does that mean? Does that mean all the people that are part of developing, like the 430,000 developers that develop projects on top of Ethereum, have parts of Ethereum stored at their home computer, and then that's beaming up into the cloud and being assembled up there secretly and then beam back down to everyone else. Does that mean that Hillary Clinton's server that was in her closet, in her kitchen pantry, is that part of this blockchain decentralized network? Uh, is it the uh, Mr. Rogers, you know, from Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, his great-great-nephew? Does he have a server at his house? How about me? Does Dustin have a server? Does Mike Moore have one? How about Marie Albanese? Does Wide Awake Jim? Does Legal Man of the Quash? Does VM? Does Bronco? I mean, who has these servers that are decentralized? Where is this data stored? And so when you start to look this up, ladies and gentlemen, where are the decentralized servers that are part of the blockchain? Or where are the decentralized servers that are part of crypto or part of Bitcoin or part of Ethereum? Where are the secret decentralized servers? Who controls them? Is it China? Is it the United States? Is it Russia? Is it North Korea? Is it Nigeria, the United Kingdom, France, Ireland, Italy, Scotland? I don't know. Where are these so-called decentralized servers? Have I made my point? I hope I have. So it's a mystery where these decentralized servers are located. And what does it all really mean? So I want to open up this discussion tonight with explaining to you where these so-called decentralized servers are located, at least from the standpoint of Ethereum. Because Ethereum is very important. Again, founded by or co-founded by Joseph Lubin, head of consensus, working with the central banks and the private sector partners like Visa, and Vitalak Buterin, who was funded by Peter Thiel to start Ethereum back in 2014. So let's talk about Ethereum, because Ethereum was the focus of the show uh, the last several episodes, because a lot of the CBDC, the central bank digital currency, is being built on top of Ethereum. 
So we'll look at these decentralized servers. We'll show you where they're located. And then we'll talk a little bit about the companies that actually have control of the decentralized servers. And then I'm going to get into introducing to you the panelists on the World Economic Forum panel discussion on central bank digital currency. And we will begin to analyze that discussion for you so that we can marry up what the technologists are building with what the bureaucrats and the banksters want built. And we'll be able to start to put together a timeline for you. Ladies and gentlemen, my timeline is this. In about three seconds, I'm going to a short break. My name is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back from the break. My name is Dustin Gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's break this down for you. This is an article I found from October 24th, 2022, and I found some other sources on this as well. I will be uh, delving into this. There's uh, someone I know, I used to go on podcasts with him, uh, who likes to talk about Bitcoin a lot and technology, and I'd like to get him on. He will argue with me. I said I don't really want to turn this into a debate show, but it will be kind of a debate show because I can poke and prod this guy and he gets heated and it is quite entertaining. But he will defend this. But I think uh, when I get to the crux of the matter, he's going to get caught in a jam because uh, this article here is very important, ladies and gentlemen, very important. All right, this is at thedalesreport.com. This is decentralized, question mark. Most of Ethereum active nodes are hosted on centralized servers. Again, this is from October 24, 2022. It says, despite Bitcoin's popularity as the world's most popular cryptocurrency and one having the highest market capitalization, Ethereum is far more critical to the ongoing development of the Web3 ecosystem and we know that to be true we covered that here goes on to say ever since smart contracts started gaining traction for converting traditional contracts into their digital equivalents the ethereum network has been the preferred choice for developers and entrepreneurs creating decentralized applications those are called d apps and more specifically decentralized finance DeFi applications all right so if you're looking this stuff up folks decentralized applications is shortened down to lowercase d capital a pps so lowercase d apps and then we went over decentralized finance and past shows but again that's uppercase d lowercase e uppercase f lowercase i so that's DeFi, like wi-fi Right. And so, you know, too, if we're talking about financial technology, that is shortened up as fintech, F-I-N-T-E-C-H. 
All right, it goes on to say, however, crypto analytics platform Masari revealed that more than two-thirds of the Ethereum blockchain's active nodes are being hosted on centralized servers. Now, the crypto world stands divided on its implications for the thousands of crypto and blockchain startups that rely on arguably the world's largest blockchain network. Again, folks, two-thirds of Ethereum blockchain's active nodes are being hosted on centralized servers. Now, this is important. It's very important. Because, again, we're being sold on this idea of decentralized. Not you and I, but the folks out there, they will say this to you. Like your neighbor who's I don't, a plumber, hardworking guy. I don't know. He owns a 0.0001% of a Bitcoin on his Coinbase wallet. And he'll tell you, hey, man, this is how we're going to break the banks. This stuff is decentralized. It's decentralized. They don't even know what centralized means or decentralized means. They just say decentralized. This is a decentralized. There's a ledger. The government doesn't know about this stuff. Wait, didn't you have to give Coinbase a scan of your ID and your social security number? And they told you they were reporting it to the IRS? Yes, you did. It's decentralized. All right, so... Let me uh, show you this. Now, there's a little chart up here. There was a tweet. Uh, it says, decentralized. The August 15th Masari report on ETH was conveniently ignored by media. 65% of Ethereum nodes are hosted in data centers. And we'll get into this. 50%, 50% on Amazon Web Services. Amazon Web Services becoming more of a hybrid, but still basically a centralized cloud service with outage disruptions across the globe so amazon web services we're going to get into this folks that's jeff bezos right who happens to be for universal basic income amongst other things he is a technocrat and he is also a transhumanist so he's a technocratic transhumanist so amazon web services all right, and I've told you before, I think I might have mentioned this in an interview I did with Mike Moore about a month ago on the Thomas Paine podcast when we were talking about how even our own websites and our domain names and stuff are not fully secure from the technocrats because it doesn't matter where you're renting server space, all right, to host your website. So for those of you that don't understand, I'll just break this down because you have to understand what we go through. Uh, and I'm someone who came out of marketing and web development. So you have your domain name. That would be pain.tv or that would be dustingoldshow.com. Don't go there. It's not up. Or goldstandard.tv. That's not up either. I'm just saying. So you have your domain name. The domain name you'll go buy through a company like, say, GoDaddy. And you go put in uh, dustingold.com. Oh, it's available. I'll pay $9.99, $9.99 a year. You're basically renting that. You don't own it, okay? It's being rented through ICANN, which is this international body. It's just like getting a license plate for your car. You're renting that from the government, all right? When you stop paying, it's done. It goes back out into cyberspace. Your license plate, you have to turn it back in to the DMV, to the state, whatever state you live in. All right, so that's how that works. It's like a phone number. You don't own the phone number to your cell phone or your landline. You're renting that. You're borrowing it. And that's how domain names work. Then when you want to go build a website, so let's say 
you're going to build it on a uh, a website builder service like Wix or like Squarespace. So a lot of you small business folks probably have used those services. Well, you don't own that website. You're using Wix or Squarespace to build a site, and then you're pointing your rented domain name over to that website. And that website is built on Squarespace or Wix's platform and it's hosted on their server and then you're paying them 10 15 20 30 dollars a month whatever it may be for that website and the host of tools they allow you to use like say you were going to do an e-commerce store inside their payment processing again that's all owned by those companies that are controlled by the technocrats or if you're going to go build let's say your own website and you're going to use uh, let's say the most popular one wordpress that's called a content management system there's WordPress, there's Drupal, there's Joomla, I've developed on all of them. So you're going to download that open source software, and then you're going to upload that to server space that you rent, and that's where you're going to build it. Well, most of these server companies out there are renting space from Amazon or from Google. So basically, your site is on Amazon or Google. So if they want to mess with you and take it down, they can take down your site, they can pull your domain name. So what I'm saying here is now Ethereum and we find out all these so-called decentralized servers are located inside of Amazon Web Services. So they're servers owned by Amazon that's actually housing all this supposedly decentralized uh, data, right? So they have a chart here. It says three uh, cloud providers represent two-thirds of hosted nodes for Ethereum. Uh, and SOL, majority of node infrastructure is heavily centralized on a handful of large cloud providers. So then there's a chart, Ethereum hosted nodes, and then they have Solana hosted nodes, and then Solana total stake weight breakdown. So it's a chart here. Okay, and then you have underneath AWS, Hetzner, OVH, and other. And so then it shows with each of these circle graphs. So let's say Ethereum hosted nodes, 50% is hosted on Amazon Web Services. All right, then they've got this company, Hetzner, 15%, OVH, 4%. That's a total of 69% hosted on three different company servers, but 50% is hosted on Amazon Web Services. Let's continue. It says, according to the latest data, 66.1% of all active nodes are hosted on third-party servers. More than 54% of them rely on Amazon Web Services, part of Amazon.com Incorporated. Other cloud computing service providers include Hetzner Online, GmbH, Google Cloud, OVH, SAS, and Oracle Cloud. So now you've got Google in there and you've got Oracle in there. All right, we know who Google is. Many people know who Oracle is. I won't go off on a long tangent. It says, together with Amazon Web Services, they host more than 50% of all Ethereum nodes responsible for handling the network's largest transactional load. While there are 15 other such centralized cloud server providers that cater to an additional 15% of Ethereum's nodes, they remain far less important to the functioning of the Ethereum network with admittedly negligible risk in the event of them shutting down. 
for a truly decentralized blockchain network like Ethereum that has only recently made a landmark shift in its consensus mechanism, the reliance on cloud servers does put the network at the mercy of these providers and merits the question, can Ethereum claim complete decentralization when more than half of its nodes are hosted using cloud computing services? Blockchain networks and cryptocurrencies are being touted as the future of transacting due to the transfer of power and decision-making from centralized entities to wide network of individuals that are governed through the community. It says here, Ethereum, Bitcoin, Solana, and many other blockchains continue to make all efforts to ensure that they provide trustless and tamper-proof transactions through their protocols. But by allowing their nodes to function over cloud servers belonging to behemoths like Amazon, Google, Oracle, and other Web2 companies, they all stand the risk of facing a central point of failure in the event that one or all of these service providers refuse to provide service to their nodes. The chances of such an event happening are slim, but it cannot be completely ruled out since these companies do not enjoy a spotless reputation due to ruthless business practices that they have employed in the past, only to gain a larger share of the marketplace or simply to dominate it. All right. Very interesting. And now they get into this. Can Ethereum handle a mass node shutdown? And this is not as important to what we are discussing here, folks. I'm pointing out that over 50% of these Ethereum nodes, so 50% of the network, is hosted with Amazon Web Services. Yet we have this whole idea that it's somehow decentralized. It's all these individuals. Again, like you're supposed to believe that there are people around the globe that have a server in their house that are running part of the Ethereum network. The other thing is that we're supposed to believe it's leaderless, right? It just happened. It just appeared. It's just there. Okay, well, who lists the Ethereum token, ETH, over at Coinbase and the other exchanges? Who is deciding on how the server structure works? Who's deciding on who gets to run one of these decentralized servers? Who is renting the server space over at Amazon Web Services, at Google, at Oracle, uh, and these other companies? Who's deciding all this? You can't believe that it's some decentralized, leaderless resistance. Who is running it all? Now, I understand you go buy your tokens, they show up in your Coinbase wallet, but you can't really believe that it's just happening. It's not like when I go out five minutes from my house where they're doing all this new uh, housing development and I see a bunch of blue collar workers climbing up on roofs, putting on shingles, putting up sheetrock, putting up Tyvek, putting in insulation, installing uh, uh, appliances, doing landscaping. That someone's going to tell me, well, it's decentralized. Nobody runs that. It just happens. It's just a bunch of individual people building these giant housing complexes and these new subdivisions and millions of freaking townhomes everywhere. It's decentralized. No one runs it. No one's in control. They just show up at work and the whole system just runs. That is complete and total rubbish, folks. A complete and total lie. 
So what I want to show you when we come back, and many of you may know this, but I just want to refresh your memory in case you don't, uh, or in case you do and maybe you forgot, I want to show you what Amazon Web Services and Google and the rest of these folks are up to, and then you will understand why all of this information from Ethereum that is quickly becoming the backbone of central bank digital currency, controlled by the central bankers and being set up by the technologists, the same technologists, by the way, that are on board with the central banks and working with the government every single day. It's one giant system. There is no one who is fighting back against the state or against the bankers. They all work for the state, and they all work for the bankers. I'll show you that when we come back. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. This is the Dustin Gold Standard, and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. I am Dustin Gold, and you are listening to Payne. .tv slash gold. You want the truth, folks? Time to go back to the gold standard. Well, you're already here. Let me show you this. I told you. So you've got over 50%, right, of the Ethereum server network on Amazon Web Services. All right, let's go back. Let's go back in time, ladies and gentlemen, to July 2014. And what does it say right here at theatlantic.com? The details about the CIA's deal with Amazon. A $600 million computing cloud built by an outside company is a, quote, radical departure, end quote, for the risk-averse intelligence community. And this is by Frank Conkle. It says here the intelligence community is about to get the equivalent of an adrenaline shot to the chest. This summer, a $600 million computing cloud developed by Amazon Web Services for the Central Intelligence Agency over the past year will begin servicing all 17 agencies that make up the intelligence community. If the technology plays out as officials envision, it will usher in a new era of cooperation and coordination, allowing agencies to share information and services much more easily and avoid the kind of intelligence gaps that preceded the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks. All right, folks, so this is back in 2014, which was at the same time that Peter Thiel, who's embedded with the CIA, uh, was funding Vitalik Buterin to develop Ethereum. Now, I'm not saying the Ethereum network on Amazon Web Services has anything to do with this. I'm just saying, hey, it's a coincidence, 2014, the government hires Amazon Web Services to start building out this computing cloud for them. All right, so Amazon Web Services 
under a CIA contract, is also housing over 50% of the nodes that make up the Ethereum network. The Ethereum network that becomes the foundation of central bank digital currency, and of which they are working in cooperation through consensus, a company founded by Joseph Lubin, who was partners with Vitalik Buterin, who created Ethereum. They both did. They were co-founders of Ethereum. This goes on to say, for the first time, agencies within the intelligence community will be able to order a variety of on-demand computing and analytic services from the CIA and National Security Agency. What's more, they'll only pay for what they use. The vision was first outlined in the Intelligence Community Information Technology Enterprise Plan, championed by Director of National Intelligence James Clapper. You guys know him. He's the guy that looks like Sloth from the Goonies. Hey, you guys! Huh? Sloth? Rocky Raw? Huh? Chung Sloth. That's James Clapper. And IC Chief Information Officer Al Teruziak almost three years ago. Cloud computing is one of the core components of the strategy to help the uh, intelligence community discover, access, and share critical information in an era of seemingly infinite data. For the risk-averse intelligence community, the decision to go with a commercial cloud vendor is a radical departure from business as usual. In 2011, while private companies were consolidating data centers in favor of the cloud, and some civilian agencies began flirting with cloud variants like email as a service, a sometimes contentious debate among the intelligence community's leadership took place. So, little bit of tech jargon there for you folks what they're talking about here email as a service is like gmail all right so it's a company like google providing an email service instead of the cia running email servers out of their basement uh we don't need to go uh any deeper into this article i don't think i mean i think you get the point here Right. So you understand back in 2014, the CIA signs a deal with Amazon Web Services. The point being that Amazon Web Services is a government contractor for the intelligence community. Meanwhile, they are housing 50% of the nodes that make up the Ethereum network that supposedly is breaking the government and the central banks because it is a decentralized payment system that the central banks and the government happen to be building central bank digital currency on top of. Do you see what a load of crap this is, ladies and gentlemen? All right. If I didn't make my point, this is an article from November 2020 by Sebastian Moss over at datacenterdynamics.com. And the title of this article, CIA Awards Multi-Billion C2E cloud contract to Amazon Web Services, Microsoft, Google, Oracle, and IBM. Okay, hold on. Let's go back here. What were the companies that are housing Ethereum? We have Amazon Web Services. We have Google. We have Oracle. Now, who is working over here for the CIA? Amazon Web Services, Google, and Oracle. It says handling contracting for the wider intelligence community. So you have these three companies, Amazon Web Services, Google, and Oracle, housing a large portion, 60% 
of the Ethereum network that's supposed to be breaking the back of the government and the central banks while these same companies have contracts from the CIA. All right. Let's just read a little bit from here. It says the Central Intelligence Agency has awarded its commercial cloud enterprise contract to Amazon Web Services, Microsoft, Google, Oracle, and IBM. The C2E contract was previously revealed to be worth tens of billions of dollars over the next decade and a half. Under the award, each company will be able to compete for specific task orders at various classification levels for the CIA and the 16 other agencies in the intelligence community. We are excited to work with the multiple industry partners awarded the intelligence community commercial cloud enterprise cloud service provider contract and look forward to utilizing alongside our intelligence community colleagues the expanded cloud capabilities resulting from this diversified partnership, said CIA spokesperson Nicole DeHay told NextGov, which first reported the contract award. Since 2013, the CIA's cloud computing needs have been met by Amazon Web Services, with the cloud provider also hosting much of the wider intelligence community. Under C2E, the CIA will shift to a multi-cloud posture, picking the best cloud provider for specific workloads. It will also pick cloud providers on behalf of the other intelligence agencies. Now, you're telling me that the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency, agency the head of the snake of the intelligence apparatus went and gave contracts to five companies three of which are housing 60 percent of ethereum on their cloud with a mission to break the government and the central banks ha funny funny right we are supposed to believe that, folks. We are supposed to believe the CIA just gave billions of dollars in money to these companies that are working to break them and the people they protect, like the central banks. I don't think so. It is a scam, ladies and gentlemen. Goes on to say the move is in contrast to the Department of Defense's Joint Enterprise Defense Infrastructure contract, which was controversially awarded to just one company. Microsoft Azure was awarded Jedi back in October 2019. We know that they are working to build CBDC right now. But the contract is currently being contested by Amazon Web Services over claims of political interference. Quote, we are honored to continue to support the intelligence community as they expand their transformational use of cloud computing. Together, we're building innovative solutions across all classification levels that deliver operational excellence and allow for missions to be performed faster and more securely, end quote. An Amazon Web Services spokeswoman said regarding its C2E contract win, quote, we appreciate that the government has chosen Microsoft and are eager to serve as an integral partner in supporting its overall mission and quote a microsoft spokesperson added quote we look forward to providing the intelligence community our latest unique and differentiated azure cloud and productivity capabilities end quote and we know that microsoft invested in 
consensus, which is building the platform which overlays on top of the Ethereum network to help the central banks deliver CBDC to you and me and to put it into the hands of the 80 million merchants that Visa is already connected into. Oh, what a tangled web, ladies and gentlemen. What a tangled web that we dissect here right at the Dustin gold standard ladies and gentlemen i'll be right back my name is dustin gold and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on Ping.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. Welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on Ping.tv slash gold. Unraveling the lies and lifting the veil on the true system of government that we currently live under a quasi-technocracy. And those that you believe are your allies, the technologists that are building the decentralized network that is going to break the backs of government and the central banks are working with the government and the central banks. (laughs) Unbelievable, folks. But most people, unfortunately, just hear the bumper sticker slogan version of this stuff. They have no idea. They don't do research. They don't break it down like I do here at the Dustin Gold Standard. They don't listen to shows like this or the Thomas Paine podcast or Legal Man's The Quash or listen to all the wonderful guests like Wide Awake Jim or Maria Albanese, co-host of the Thomas Paine podcast on Fridays or VM. All these folks that are doing research into these topics daily, daily. I love doing this, folks. I love uncovering the lies and the schemes and the scams and the grifts and really showing you what the hell is actually going on. Now, if those two examples of Amazon Web Services working with the government are not enough, are not enough, I have a third one for you. I have a third one. Again, Amazon Web Services hosting over 50% of Ethereum's nodes that make up the whole infrastructure there of Ethereum, which is the backbone for central bank digital currency, which we are supposed to believe is on a mission to break the banks and break the government. Meanwhile, it was funded with startup money from Peter Thiel, who is a technocratic transhumanist who's invested heavily in fintech, who backed Vitalik Buterin, who created Ethereum, who works with the government constantly. He gets investment money from the government and he gets contracts for the government. And his software from his various companies like Palantir are embedded in almost every, if not every, government agency. Do you see? This is why I've told you before. There's no deep state. It's only the state. You just have to do the research, and you can find it all. You just put the pieces of the puzzle together. It's all out there. They don't really hide. They don't really hide. People say, oh, well, they're hiding. They're doing it in secret. No, they're not doing it in secret. They talk about it openly, as you'll see at the World Economic Forum. They do this stuff out in the open, folks. All right, we're at next uh, next gov. 
nextgov.com. And this article is from August 10th, 2021. All right, so the one we just covered before was from November 2020, and the one before that was from uh, 2014. So there was a $600 million deal that Amazon got from the CIA in 2014. Then you had this uh, multi-billion dollar deal worth tens of billions of dollars. Amazon was part of this along with Microsoft, Google, Oracle, and IBM. This is in November 2020. And now, fast forward, we have August 2021, so that's last year, NSA awards secret $10 billion contract to Amazon. Much of the NSA's most prized intelligence data may be moving to the cloud. It says the National Security Agency has awarded a secret cloud computing contract worth up to $10 billion to Amazon Web Services, NextGov has learned. This contract is already being challenged. Tech giant Microsoft filed a bid protest on July 21st with the Government Accountability Office two weeks after being notified by the NSA that it had selected Amazon Web Services for the contract. The contract's code name is, quote, wild and stormy, end quote, according to the protest filings, and it represents the second multi-billion dollar cloud contract the United States intelligence community made up of 17 agencies, including the NSA, has awarded in the past year. In November, the CIA awarded its C2E contract, potentially worth tens of billions of dollars, to five companies, Amazon Web Services, Microsoft, Google, Oracle, and IBM, that will compete for specific tasks, orders for certain intelligence needs. Details on the NSA's newly awarded cloud contract are sparse, but the acquisition appears to be part of the NSA's attempt to modernize its primary classified data repository, the intelligence community GovCloud. For the better part of a decade, the NSA has moved its data, including signals intelligence and other foreign surveillance and intelligence information it ingests from multiple repositories around the globe into this internally operated data lake analysis from the NSA and other intelligence community agencies can run queries and perform analytics against. In 2020, intelligence officials signaled an intent to bring in a commercial cloud provider to meet demands caused by exponential data growth. Data, as Yuval Noah Harari says, those who control the data are the gods of the new era. Well, they are. And massive processing and analytics requirements that are challenging the NSA's ability to scale. The effort, called the Hybrid Compute Initiative, would effectively move the NSA's crown jewel intelligence data from its own servers to servers operated by a commercial cloud provider. It says here, another win for Amazon. Again, folks, Amazon housing over 50% of the Ethereum nodes that run that system. And you're supposed to believe that crypto is breaking the backs of the government and the central banks. What a crock. It says Amazon Web Services is parent company, Amazon's most profitable business unit. And while industry analysts consider it the market leader in cloud computing, it is also the dominant cloud provider among federal agencies, the Department, uh, the Defense Department, and the intelligence community. 
Amazon Web Services first inked a $600 million cloud contract with the CIA called C2S in 2013. We covered that a few minutes ago, through which it provided cloud services to the CIA and sister intelligence agencies, including the NSA. Last year, AWS secured at least a portion of the CIA's multi-billion follow-on C2E contract. Microsoft twice won the Pentagon's multi-billion dollar joint enterprise defense infrastructure contract over Amazon on web services, but defense officials canceled that contract in July after years of litigation. It says, quote, the NSA's award just reiterates that Amazon is still the cloud provider to beat across the federal government, end quote, said Chris Corneli, an analyst at Bloomberg Government. Quote, Microsoft has come a long way and made it a two-way horse race in government, but Amazon was forming relationships and gathering security certifications a decade ago, and Microsoft is still playing catch-up, end quote. So again, Microsoft uh, is one of the investors inside of consensus, and they're also working with the central banks too, all right? See, it's all a tangled web, but you just have to start pulling at the strings to untangle it. It says, Amazon Web Services referred questions to the NSA. Quote, NSA recently awarded a contract for cloud computing services to support the agency. The unsuccessful uh, offerer has filed a protest with the Government Accountability Office. The agency will respond to the protest in accordance with appropriate federal regulations. End quote. An NSA spokesperson told NextGov. In a statement to NextGov, Microsoft confirmed its protest. So Microsoft went on to complain about it. So there we go, folks. Three examples of Amazon Web Services getting major contracts, multi-billion dollar contracts, half a billion dollar contract with the CIA, NSA, with the intelligence community apparatus, okay, housing their data for them. Meanwhile, housing 50% of Ethereum's nodes that make up their network. I wanted to show that to you because it's important that you understand that this decentralized concept is a complete and total scam when 50% up to 69% of the Ethereum network is housed on Amazon Web Services and then Amazon along with Oracle and Google respectively. You see that? So it's a lie, this idea that there's servers in people's homes. It's all housed by the same people that work with the state daily. And as I said, Ethereum is not out to break the back of government or of the central banks, because in a moment now, I'll show you that Amazon Web Services is actually working with the central banks as well. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. (laughs) All right, folks, you have to laugh at this. Seriously, just put the work in. You do the research. 
You just grind it out over here, and you're going to find the truth, ladies and gentlemen. It is all here. I ask you to please share this podcast with your friends, with your family, with anyone who you think could uh, gain some value from what we do over here. And we are telling the truth. We are breaking it all down. This isn't just opinion. We're showing you all the facts. It's all this research. And sometimes, whether it be on Twitter or Telegram, other places, you'll, you'll put something in there. You'll say... I don't know. Ethereum is run on uh, 50% Amazon Web Services. It's contracted with the CIA, the NSA, and central banks. People go, do you have proof of that? Uh, Who wrote that? Where's the proof? Well, you're not going to get an article from Fox News that I send to you. I'll send you over to my podcast. Here, listen to these podcasts. Oh, that's too much work. That's too much effort. Well, what the hell are you asking for then? You clearly don't want to know. Like, you want one article written by Alex Jones that tells you that uh, Amazon Web Services is housing 50% of Ethereum's nodes. And uh, this Alex Jones here, live on InfoWars, Prison Planet, we're in it. Super bone broth. We're going to take some super male vitality, and we're going uh, to battle back against these goblin people, these chimeras. And uh, I'm telling you, Amazon Web Services has contracts with uh, the NSA, CIA, and central banks. So if he says that it's true, but if I'm telling you it's not true, so I recommend, I, I had uh, several people yesterday actually email me that they've been sharing this show with friends and family. So I do appreciate that very much. So please continue to do that if you have not, ladies and gentlemen, because it does help us grow. I try to keep it clean. I don't really curse. I mean, I do in real life, but I decided I didn't want to have a show like Mike Moore riddled with the F-bomb. And then I got to mark the show explicit and it really limits your reach. So I don't do that, except that show when my father came on and I was sitting there with a pad. If you were watching the video version of that show and I was marking down every time he dropped the F-bomb or said something highly inappropriate. And I was going to go back and edit them out until I got to about 23 F-bombs. And I said, all right, forget this. I'll have to chop up the entire... I'll be sitting there editing the show for a week and a half. All right, let's look at this. Just final proof here. This is at Amazon's website, aws.amazon.com. All right, again, why is this important? Because Amazon is housing over 50% of essentially the Ethereum network. All right, it says here... Approaches in retail central bank digital currency, aligning technology with policy. And this is written by Erica Salinas on March 8th, 2022. It says increased digitalization is transforming the payments landscape. The advent of private sector digital currencies and their growing acceptance, combined with the reduction in everyday use of physical cash in parts of the world, opens up new opportunities and risks for central banks and financial institutions. Over 85 countries, representing over 90% of global GDP, are researching the possibility of launching a retail central bank digital currency, a CBDC. Now, we know that number is higher now. I think it's um, 105 countries representing 95% of global GDP at this point, according to the Atlantic Council, who does the tracking, you know, for the world banks. You know, they work for the bad guys. Uh, I showed you that website a couple of episodes ago. It's a good resource for you, though. Always look at the enemies 
at the enemy's tools, ladies and gentlemen, because they publish them for the other enemies, for the other bad guys, but we can utilize them for our own purposes. All right, it says, however, as central banks evaluate the pros and cons of central bank digital currencies, they are considering different approaches and designs to address the variety of needs and situations of each country. Are you ready? This is at Amazon's website. Amazon Web Services works with central banks across the globe to support innovation. Through working with our customers as they design secure, resilient, and scalable digital currency networks, we understand the need to align technology solutions to their policy visions. To advance understanding in this space, Amazon Web Services worked with the Oliver Wyman Forum on a white paper called Retail Central Bank Digital Currency from Vision to Design which outlines a framework that can help support policymakers in evaluating the interdependencies between policy and technology choices. And that's a little bit of what's going to go on in the World Economic Forum panel we're going to cover. While this paper assumes a central bank has decided to investigate a CBDC, Amazon Web Services does not make any recommendation as to whether a central bank should introduce a CBDC or which solution to adopt if it does. In this blog post, we summarize key principles outlined in the retail central bank digital currency from vision to design framework. All right, and so they've got a chart here. And I'll just go through this quickly. It says, one, aligning CBDC objectives with design principles. Two, aligning CBDC design principles with technical design choices. Uh, Three, evaluating market impact of technical design choices. Uh, Dive deep into the CBDC strategy framework. All right. So this is just a... uh, little blog post here comes out from Amazon, and I just wanted to show you, boom, Amazon works with central banks on building out the CBDC, right? At the same time, you're supposed to believe, again, I have to just keep saying this. I feel like Sean Hannity, but I have to say this. At the same time, you're supposed to believe that Ethereum, which 50% of it, let's say, is housed on Amazon Web Services, is trying to ba- break the back of the banks and government. It's, it's a complete and total lie, folks. They're all working together. And if I wanted to dig deeper, and I may eventually do it, I have it written down on my list of possible investigations, we might be able to prove that all this stuff is actually working together, that they're housing it over at Amazon Web Services intentionally. Because Amazon Web Services is working on the cloud infrastructure for central bank digital currency. Ethereum basically becomes the software that the CBDC will be overlaid on top of. It's all working together as one big system. All right. It's one big system. And you're supposed to believe there's different enemies. And before we get into World Economic Forum, let me just say this. I think it's important. There's a lot of people that reference Sun Tzu, The Art of War. I don't know how many people actually read it, but uh, it talks a bit in there about knowing your enemy. And one of the reasons why I think it's so important to understand the technocracy and the transhumanists from the history through the present day through what we project they're going to do in the future is because you have to know your enemy. If you are going to fight back against the system, 
or if you are going to resist the system, or if you are going to attempt to live one foot in and one foot out of the system, you have to understand what that system is. You cannot avoid it. You cannot challenge it. You cannot resist it. You cannot push back against it. You cannot fight it. You cannot revolt against it. You cannot explain it to people unless you understand what it is. And that's what we're trying to do here is to break it down and to understand what this system is. And then you'll understand why it is in your best interest to try to live outside of it as much as possible. So you have to know your enemy if you're going to fight your enemy. You have to understand your enemy's playbook. And there are bits and pieces of their playbook scattered all over the internet in all sorts of books, in all sorts of documentaries, on all sorts of podcasts. Now, some authors and journalists and podcasters and radio hosts will only go to a certain level. And they will cut it off there. I try to go as deep as possible, folks, so I can show you what's actually happening. I mean, I don't think on this show I'm going to go as deep as uh, uh, Tataria and uh, Bigfoot and uh, vampires. I mean, I've listened to a lot of podcasts on that stuff. I've read a lot of books on that. But I think the vampires and the goblins and the Bigfoots are all right here. These are the technocrats and the transhumanist folks. They are evil humans doing evil things. And in some cases, I don't believe that they even believe they're evil, which makes them even more dangerous. But they are the wolves. They are the wolves that want to rule over the sheep. And we need to be the sheepdogs to try to lead the other sheep away from the wolves. It's a very difficult undertaking. But this is important. So I think we just broke apart this uh, idea of decentralization. This is nonsense. It's nonsense. It's all centralized under the new players. Is there a giant server system in the treasury or over at the central bank that runs all this? No. Is it being outsourced to Amazon Web Services? Yes, most likely. That is going to happen. Uh, 50% of the Ethereum network is there. If they are going to start building CBDC on top of it, my guess is that it will be housed by Amazon Web Services because you know that Amazon Web Services and Microsoft, as they said, are the two big competitors in the government uh, cloud space to begin with. So there's only two choices. And at the end of the day, Google and Amazon, mine is, uh, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, the rest of them, might as well be the same company considering that they all are backed by the same exact investors. It's the same mentality of folks running them. They are technocrats, the scientists, the engineers, and the technologists who believe that it is their right. It is their birthright to rule over all of the other people, to control the physical world, the digital world, the biological world, to control the politics, to control all of it. They actually do believe this. Now, since we're talking about central banks, I just want to pull up this article for you, okay? Now, hold on, because they're going to have ads popping up all over it. Let's see if we can get rid of those. Okay. It's going to be a pain in the butt. Ads by Google over here blocking this article. So um, what we're going to do, folks, is I'm going to skip ahead here. Because this was quite important, but because there's so many ads overlaying on this page, I can't really show you 
this article. So what I'm going to do, ladies and gentlemen, I don't really do this stuff in real time, but I'm actually going to print this. Nope. If I print it, the ad still overlays on top. So let's see if we can say, stop seeing this ad. Now, they're not going to let me do it, ladies and gentlemen. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to expand my screen out, and then I'm going to open this in full screen so that we can get this. All right. So this article here, this is over at worldpopulationreview.com, and it's titled Countries Without Central Banks 2022. Now, these guys are going to be against the so-called conspiracy theory that the banks are all controlled by the Rothschilds, but that doesn't matter. I just want to set the stage for you here on what central banks are so you have a basic understanding in case you haven't been paying attention to this kind of stuff over the last 10 years or so. It says the central bank, also known as a reserve bank, is a national bank that manages a country's monetary policies on a national level. In most countries, the central bank sets the interest rate to maintain a healthy exchange rate and control inflation, increases or decreases the nation's money supply, handles the printing and coining of national currency, regulates commercial banks to prevent fraudulent or or exploitative behaviors and can act as a excuse me as a lender if a financial crisis occurs in addition central banks also manage foreign exchange rates government bonds and gold reserves now as you know here in this country our central bank is the federal reserve it did not come into being until 1913 under President Woodrow Wilson, when we also put into place the Internal Revenue Service and the income tax. Uh, We also changed how we vote for senators in this country. I covered that probably 20 episodes ago. Have a listen. It says a central bank is a vital component of most nations' financial systems. Nearly every country in the world, particularly those that issue their own currency, has a central bank. In fact, even unrecognized countries, such as uh, Abzajka, have central banks. As a rule, central banks operate independently so as to avoid any political influence upon their actions and policy-making decisions. That said, most also cede limited control to legislative and executive bodies. See, it's a total mess. It doesn't even make sense. They're part of the government. They're independent. They're not part of it. They are part of it. They're part of it when they want to be, but they're not. It's just a bunch of private guys sit in a room, make decisions on interest rates, on printing money, but they have to answer to the government on Wednesdays, but on Fridays they don't because they're independent. There's no politics involved. You know why there's no politics involved? Because there's no such thing as politics. There's no such thing as Republican and Democrat in this country. Okay, there's not. That's a WWE Clown World Circus wrestling match for you and I to keep us entertained. goes on to say, many central banks also purchase gold and other assets to help back their financial system. And approximately 75% of the world's central bank assets are held by China, the United States, Japan, and the countries of the Eurozone. Despite the crucial role central banks play in a nation's monetary health, there are nonetheless a handful of countries that lack a central bank. Okay, so as of when this article was written, these were the countries that have no central bank, which probably means they're being invaded today. 
All right, that's usually what we do. If you say you don't want a central bank, then we come and invade you and kill you uh, until we put one into place. It's uh, Andorra, Isle of Man, uh, Kerbati, Marshall Islands, Micronesia, Monaco, Noro, Paulo, Panama, and Tuvalu. And I, I used to do research on this stuff years ago, so the stuff in my head is not really up to date, so I don't want to spend a lot of time referencing old material in my head. But let me just read you this, because it's interesting and it's true, even though they use misdirection and spin. But it says the Rothschild banking empire, the predecessors, but not secret controllers of a central bank, right? So they don't control it. They just started it, put it together, but they don't control it. You have to say that, actually, or you'll be thrown off of the Internet. But I will give my personal opinion. We'll just roll the dice and go with that. When I get back from this break, let me finish up reading this to you. I'm going to show you a short list which is actually long, of all the countries with central banks. And then I'm going to introduce the uh, four characters that we are going to be hearing in this World Economic Forum panel discussion on central bank digital currency. But remember, folks, you know now that these decentralized idea of the Ethereum blockchain is a complete and total lie. It's a fabrication. All of these folks are working together with the same tech companies behind them. This is the technocracy. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll be right back. This is Dustin Gold with the Dustin Gold Standard right here on pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on pain.tv. Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Dustin Gold. Welcome back to Payne.tv slash gold. You are listening to the Dustin Gold Standard. Folks, you can support us by leaving a five-star review at Apple Podcasts and a comment. Not much to ask, folks. Or leave us a donation at donorbox.org slash Dustin Gold Show. Or you can join us at pain.tv slash gold. You can join the basic or the hot wire, ladies and gentlemen. The hot wire. Lots of people have joined the hot wire, and I want to thank you very much for that, folks. I really do appreciate it. So if you're interested, feel free to do that. It supports the whole pain network. It supports the Dustin Gold Show. It supports the Thomas Payne podcast. So please think about that. All right, let's continue here. It says the Rothschild banking empire, the predecessors, but not secret controllers of central banks. In the 1760s, a Jewish banker from Frankfurt, Germany, and I'm allowed to say Jewish. All right, I'm a quarter Austrian Jew. Uh, my family was not practicing, but I am a quarter Austrian Jew. That's for the censors out there. I just want to put that out there. You cannot ban me for saying this. It says in the 1760s, a Jewish banker from Frankfurt, Germany named Meyer Amschel Rothschild founded what eventually became a banking dynasty. From humble beginnings in the Jewish slums of Frankfurt, Rothschild would eventually establish banks in Frankfurt, Germany, London, England, Paris, France, uh, 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 Austria and Naples, it, uh, and Naples, Italy, with each bank headed by one of Rothschild's five sons. 
The family became known as pioneers and trendsetters in the realm of international finance and were instrumental in aiding England and its allies during the Napoleonic Wars of 1803 through 1815. At one point in the 1800s, the Rothschild family possessed the largest private fortune in the history of the modern world. For example, between 1895 and 1907, they loaned more than $450 million, more than $13 trillion by 2022 standards, to various European governments. Given their immense wealth and power, it's unsurprising that the Rothschild family was the subject of many conspiracy theories. What's the conspiracy theory? That they were uh, people that held immense power and wealth? (laughs) How's that a conspiracy theory if you just admitted it? One such claim maintained that the family secretly controlled the world's wealth and financial institutions, including the central banks of various countries. No evidence exists to support this claim, although significant evidence exists that it's a myth rooted in and fueled by anti-Semitism. Well, you just told us what they were doing they set up these banks and they were funding uh, the napoleonic war i mean does that not prove exactly what you're now denying goes on to say in reality central banks are essentially a government function as such they would not be subject to control from a private family even one as influential as the rothschilds in the 18th and 19th centuries however many countries had not yet established central banks so the rothschild banks fulfilled many of the functions that a central bank now carries out today the Rothschild family is involved in financial services, real estate, nonprofit organizations, winemaking, and other fields. So I just wanted to show you. So that's that's sort of the short history, the abridged version of central banks. I don't want to go too into depth on central banks now. We're eventually going to cover that because one of the original United States central bankers, his name was Frank Vanderlip. We mentioned him about 10 or 15 episodes ago was actually bringing Howard Scott, the founder of Technocracy Inc., around and introducing him to folks. So you generally find bankers behind any of these big power schemes, these big control schemes, uh, because they have to be funded by the bankers. And the bankers, as I told you, aren't really interested in money, not the way you and I see it. They print the money. They're interested in complete and total control. So a system like technocracy or communism or socialism or fascism or uh you know crony corporatism uh corrupt capitalism that benefits the bankers they love that stuff because it gives them power and control i mean in this system we just keep slapping future generations with debt well they might not have to do that if they move into a central bank digital currency system and chain you to the block otherwise called the block chain all right folks so just a little brief history on central banks now let's look at this we're over at wikipedia and this is a list of central banks and i'm not going to go through all of it because there's how many here i don't know folks i think it's 190 something countries have central banks it's crazy almost every country you could think of except those 10 on the last list are right here on the list of central banks. So that goes to show you how big and powerful this system is. And you can just Google list of central banks, and you're going to find this uh, on Wikipedia. All right. So today, 
we broke down the decentralized scam. We showed you that Ethereum has 50% of its nodes hosted on Amazon Web Services, along with Google, Microsoft, a few others, Oracle. We showed you how those companies, mainly Amazon Web Services, get major contracts from the CIA and the NSA to house data. We showed you that Amazon Web Services is working with the central banks. All right, that's a lot of intelligence right there, folks. A lot of intelligence. I just gave you a brief history of central banks. It's all a conspiracy theory that the Rothschilds were super powerful because they were super powerful. That's a conspiracy theory. And then we just showed you a list here of all these central banks. Now, this is important because we're moving into this World Economic Forum panel discussion from June of 2022 on central bank digital currency. And two of the people that sit on this panel discussion are the heads of central banks. Okay, one of them is the head of the Central Bank of France, and the other is the head of the Central Bank of Thailand, who's quite interesting because he was just involved with the Bank for International Settlements Innovation Hub test for the cross-border central bank digital currency that we reviewed the other day. And that was built on top of what? Ethereum. By who? Consensus. See, all the pieces of the puzzle fit together. All right, so first, let me just go through this with you. I'm going to start doing this when we review panel discussions so that I can call these people by first name when I'm pausing. This is for the audio-only audience over there on the free side of the podcast. So this discussion is hosted by Julia Chatterley. All right. Julia Chatterley. And so we'll call her Julia. She is uh, Studies London School of Economics and Political Science, formerly six years at Morgan Stanley on the hedge fund desk, selling interest rates, FX, credit, acuities, and options products with CNBC, co-anchored CNBC's Capital Connection and European Closing Bell, and hosted special programs including an in-depth interview with Italian political activist Beppe Grillo, currently anchor and European reporter for CNBC, lead reporter for the main business and political events in Europe, including Eurogroup and EU leader summits in Brussels, as well as in-depth coverage of the Greek and Italian elections, and uh, Cypert Bailout has interviewed European heads of state and financial uh, finance ministers and often reports on key corporate earnings, regular contributor to CNBC programming in the United States. All right, so this is the host, Julia. She's also an anchor over at CNN. All right, now she's all tied in here to World Economic Forum and host panel discussions for them. All right, next up on the panel here, we have Kristalina Georgievia. So this is Kristalina, we're going to call her, Kristalina. Kristalina Ivanova Georgieva Kanova. She's a Bulgarian. Uh, born in 1953, she's an economist serving as the managing director of the International Monetary Fund since 2019. So she's managing director of the IMF. She was the chief executive of the World Bank Group from 2017 to 2019 and served as acting president of the World Bank Group from February 1st, 2019 to April 8th, 2019, following the resignation of Jim Yong Kim. 
She previously served as vice president of the European Commission under Jean-Claude Juncker from 2014 to 2016. Uh, Just a little bit more. It says in uh, 2021, an independent inquiry determined that uh, Georgieva had instructed staff at the World Bank to inflate data to make China look better during her tenure as chief executive. However, the executive board of the IMF determined that the investigation, quote, did not conclusively demonstrate, end quote, wrongdoing and expressed confidence in Georgieva's leadership. So as you can see there, she got in a little bit of hot water. And there's a whole bunch on her. If you want, just Google her, look her up, Kristalina, K-R-I-S-T-A-L-I-N-A. Uh, Georgieva, and you'll find her on Wikipedia. Lots of information. I wouldn't go too deep on her. I just want you to know who she is because she's going to pop up in a few of the discussions we are going to analyze over the next couple of episodes. Then we have here uh, Francois Villeroy de Gallo. So we'll just call him Frank, I think. You want to call him Frank? Francois Villeroy de Gallo. This guy's born in 1959. He's a French civil servant. Yes, he serves the people. And banker, serving as governor of the Bank of France and ex-officio president of the French Prudential Supervision and Resolution Authority since 2015. So this guy is the uh, governor, we'll call him Gov of Bank of France. So he's the head of France's central bank ladies and gentlemen i just want you to have a little understanding of who these folks are this guy was born in strasbourg he descends from the family villeroy de gallo co-owner of the ceramic manufacturer villeroy and bouch domiciled since the late 18th century in walfer fund speaks german fluently after earning his french uh, bachelorette degree at the La Cie Saint Louis de Gonzagou and his engineering degree doesn't really matter, ladies and gentlemen. Anyway, this guy is the head of the Central Bank of France. All right. And then we've got Axel. Uh, where is this? Axel P. Lehman. So I looked it up. No relation to the Lehman brothers. He has two N's in his name. They had one. He's chairman of the board of directors of uh, Bank Suisse. Okay. So he is, we're going to call this guy, this is Axel P. Lehman. So we'll just go by Axel here. And uh, Credit Suisse. And just give you a little bit of his credentials here. He's uh, chairman and chair of the Governance and Nominations Committee, uh, chair ad interim of the Risk Committee, member of the Conduct and Financial Crime Control Committee, member of the Audit Committee. This is uh, Credit Suisse. He also was involved with UBS, Zurich Insurance Group, Swiss Life, Institute of Insurance Economics at the University of St. Gallen, and he's got a bunch of uh, degrees and PhDs and stuff like that, folks. So this is uh, the guy who's basically going to be representing the so-called private sector on this panel. So you've got the managed director of the IMF, you've got the governor of the Bank of France, and then you've got Axel, who is the chairman of the board of Bank Suisse. You'll see him kind of go tit for tat with uh, Frank. Uh, as Frank tries to hit back and make some jokes against the so-called private sector and the commercial banks. And then finally, on this panel, we are going to have this gentleman named Mr. Sethaput 
Suthawarnaraput, believe it or not. So we're going to call this guy Seth because it's S-E-T-H-A-P-U-T. And then the last name, folks, I'm going to spell this for you because it's funny. S-U-T-H-I-W-A-R-T-N-A-R-U-E-P-U-T. Suthawarnaraput. Now, this guy is the governor of the bank of thailand okay so he is the head of the central bank in thailand this guy actually speaks fantastic english i think he's probably from here he went to yale university but he is the governor of the bank of thailand and commissioner on the securities and exchange commission in thailand all right and so i pulled up a little bio on him this guy is a phd in economics from yale uh masters in philosophy uh, economics at Yale, a BA, highest honors economics, uh, Swarthmore College, that's USA. And then he's a member of the National Economic and Social Development Council, member of the Board Securities and Exchange Commission, member of the Board Office of Insurance Commission. And this guy has been all over the place as well. So this is going to be the panel discussion at the World Economic Forum on Central Bank Digital Currencies. Again, this is from June 2022, and then we're going to work our way backwards over the next couple of episodes with a few panel discussions I have. Again, I am now bringing in the bureaucrats and the bankers, the regulators, the policymakers into this investigation. We've gone through the technologists, the tech companies, the private investors, all that stuff, and now we're going to bring in the guys who are setting the policy, the central bankers. And as I said, some of this is going to sound a little bit boring to you, but trust me, there's many, many nuggets inside here. If you like to analyze and investigate this type of stuff this is chock full of nuggets for us ladies and gentlemen again we're trying to work this towards being able to put the big picture together and help you figure out when this system is coming and how we are going to work around this system ladies and gentlemen i'm going to work around a quick break i'll be right back this is dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Join the discussion at Payne.tv slash gold. You're listening to the Dustin Gold Standard on Payne.tv. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Dustin Gold Standard. My name is Dustin Gold. And you are listening to pain.tv slash gold, folks. All right, so, again, here's going to be our, uh, I shortened this up. I'm not going to call the IMF lady, Crystalina. I'm going to call her Chris. So we're going to have Julia is the host. We have Chris from the IMF. We have Frank, who is the governor of the Bank of France, the central bank. We have Axel from uh, Credit Suisse, uh, who represents the private sector here. And then we have Seth, who is the governor of the Bank of Thailand, the Thailand Central Bank. So that's how we'll refer to them. Uh, Julia, Chris, Frank, Axel, and Seth. So it's easier for me to stop and tell you who's speaking uh, instead of using all these long names. All right, folks, let's begin here with Julia. We're going to go through this whole entire panel discussion 
uh, today and the next uh, episode. And then we're probably going to work on the International Monetary Fund panel discussion. Uh, I like to play these in full because there's just so much to pull out of them. And I like you folks to be able to get a flavor for who, who these uh, prison planet wardens are. And I don't find it to be as educational if I just cut three or four clips out of these things. So I like to play them in full for you. So let's begin with Julia. Welcome, everyone, here in the room and to those tuning in online for this panel discussing central bank digital coins. First and foremost, I want to remind you that we would love your participation and we're using the Slido app. So if you go to slido.com and a little bar at the top, you put in CBDC. It will bring you here. I'm going to try and incorporate your questions as we go. So be kind, please. Um, we will do our best. And I also want to remind you on social if you're sharing hashtag WEF22. Now, if there's one thing, and it might be the only thing up for debate, that I think financial sector participants agree on at this moment is whether your bank, regulator, consumer, business, is that the current system can be more efficient. It can be more inclusive and it can be fairer. The big question is, how do we achieve that? And there are Okay, so as you see there, they've got to use those taglines, those bumper sticker slogans about the system being more inclusive and the system being fairer and it costing less to transact. The system has to be overhauled. The decision has been made. Everyone agrees on this, right? So that's the narrative. The stage has been set. They've been talking about this now for several years. So again, we're just showing you the decision's already been made. It's done. It's a done deal. Now we're just trying to dissect exactly how it's going to be done, figure it out, figure out when the rollout's coming, what phases it's going to come in, combine this in with what we've learned from the tech side, and we should be able to paint a big picture here. That's the goal of what I'm trying to do here at the Dust and Gold Standard. All right, let's continue. There are many ways of going about it. What if I told you 90% now of the world's central banks say they're investigating uh, central bank digital coins, whether pushed by the private sector, and I see some faces that I recognize in the audience, or working with the private sector, let's be clear. I think we all recognize that technology like central bank digital coins have the potential to reshape the financial system and revolutionize payments. Now, some Okay, so what we already know and what we've already proven here at the Dust and Gold Standard, there's no public sector and private sector. It is the state, all right? The so-called private sector funnels money back into the puppets, all these fake elected officials, whether you believe they're good people or not, or you voted for them, it doesn't matter. They funnel money to them through the lobbyists. People have known that for years. But the so-called private sector companies are getting all their money from the state. As you can see, just with what we covered today on Amazon Web Services. So the companies are allowed to exist because the power of the state allows them to exist. And then they funnel money back to the puppets that are just the WWE wrestlers that you get to watch on Fox News, CNN, and MSNBC fight with each other. Or if you're into real time and you want to watch the Truman Show, maybe you turn on C-SPAN. Okay, and you could watch these guys stand up in front of each other and talk nonsense stuff that doesn't really matter. We've also said here, it is our opinion on the show, World Economic Forum acts as a chamber of commerce between both the so-called public and so-called private sectors, bringing them together, and then creates all the marketing material for technocracy, because all of this stuff is part of technocracy 
technocracy and part of transhumanism. They're moving us towards the goal, the merger of the physical, biological, and digital worlds. That's all written about in Klaus Schwab's 2016 book, The Fourth Industrial Revolution. All right. That's their purpose. That's what they are. Now, supposedly, they get all their funding from memberships. All right. So people pay a lot of money. I'm talking tens of thousands of dollars to join the World Economic Forum. And then that money helps fund the World Economic Forum. I haven't gone into a lot of depth on that. I'll eventually look into it on future shows. But I just want you to understand here when they're talking about the public and private sector people, they're all on board. Now, there's some infighting going on. I think you're going to see a little bit of this. I think it's genuine. A little poking between Frank, the governor of the Bank of France, and Axel, the uh, chairman of the board of Credit Suisse. You're going to see a little bit of those guys kind of bantering back and forth with each other. That'll be coming up shortly. All right, let's continue. Central Bank started years ago, and they're represented on this fantastic panel. They're also providing lessons, I think, and challenges to other central banks. The question is, what do we need to know? What are the macroeconomic, the geopolitical consequences? What are the benefits, but also the challenges of rollout? Data privacy, security, scalability, just to name a few. At the heart of any currency, how do we ensure trust? Mm. Particularly given the great turbulence we see across financial markets, but specifically in private crypto markets today, and how new this concept is. We have to get it right first time. It has to be a benefit to users, but also minimize financial security and financial stability risks. I don't ask much. All right, so what she's talking about there is how are they going to design this system uh, in a way that they're going to be able to get mass adoption. And everything that I've read and researched so far, they're very concerned about being able to roll out a campaign of mass adoption without creating a run on the bank. So they don't want you and all of the neighbors living in your neighborhood to run to the bank and try to cash out your checking, your savings, uh, other accounts you may have there and get cash because uh, they don't have all that cash. So they're trying to avoid that. This is a slow roll into it. They want what's called stability and trust behind this system. And you'll see them talk about this in great detail throughout this panel discussion. Let's continue. But I do ask much of what is a truly fantastic panel. Let me introduce them. The governor of the Central Bank of France, Francois Villeroy. Okay, so that'll be Frank. Axel Lehman. Oh, nice, I like that. <laughs> Good work. Um, Axel Lehman, chairman of the board of directors. All right, we'll be calling him Axel. Credit Suisse. Yes. Kristalina Georgieva, the managing director of the International Monetary Fund. And we'll be calling her Chris, that's Kristalina. And last but not least, Setaput Suthiwa Naraput, the governor of the Central Bank of Thailand. Okay, we'll be calling him Seth. We're going to have some fun. I think it would be remiss of me not to begin with what we're seeing, as I mentioned, not only in broader financial markets, but in crypto markets in particular. We've got not so stable coins having significant issues. We've got governments that decided to legalize private crypto like Bitcoin. I don't want to mention Venezuela, but I just did now sitting on significant losses. Um, you name it, we've got turbulence. I think my first question to our entire panel is, um, 
what the heck's going on? Um, <laughs> in many ways, quite frankly, but, but in this specifically, and to all of you, but I'm playing to, to, to my governors, whether, mm. maybe to Crystalina too, um, whether what we're seeing is the argument, a proof of concept perhaps, of central banks needing to lead the way in payment systems. Mm. Crystalina, I'll begin with you. Okay, so now she's going to go over to Chris. And again, this woman is the managing director of the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. So she's going to start with her. This woman talks a little slow, but stick with me, folks, because this really does set this up and opens up a very wide conversation here on central bank digital currency. You're going to just start to see uh, from their mindset, their attitude, you're going to understand their character and you're going to start to see the guys that are really in control of this system and each of them to me seems to actually know their place within the system that's what i find to be very interesting about this discussion let's continue well uh when somebody promises you 20 percent return on something that is not backed by any assets how would we normally call this thing I think we would call that a fiat currency. Um, no, I mean, they're not promising us 20%, folks. But they give you money, and the money is backed by nothing. Just a trust and faith in the government and or the central bank. Let's continue here. We would call it a pyramid. In other words, this is a pyramid in the digital age. But we should not be mistaken to immediately classify everything in the digital money world in a negative way because there are three categories. The first one is central bank digital currencies. They are backed by the state and uh, they offer finality when transactions are settled. This is a universe that, as you said, 90% of countries are exploring. Who crossed the finish line first? The Bahamas with the sand dollar. But now we have Nigeria stepping there and there are many pilots of which the largest universe of a pilot, which actually made me wake up and say, well, this thing is moving so fast that the International Monetary Fund has to embrace it. China with a hundred a pilot with 128 million participants. Now, the second group, these are the stable coins. Some of them deserve the name because they are backed by assets. And when they are backed by assets one to one, they're really stable. They look a little bit like money market funds, but they are money market funds in this digital space. And then we have lower degree of stability, the less there is a backing, the more you should be prepared to take the risk of this thing blowing in your face, which is what happened some days ago. I want to be very, very uh, direct that I do feel the, for the people who lost money, because part of the reason they lost money is not really being well educated on True. this new investment world. Okay, so what she's talking about is the three types of uh, digital money here. 
She's talking about central bank digital currency, which you know about. She is talking about stable coins, which you know about because we reviewed those on the show a couple of episodes ago. If you haven't listened to that episode, I suggest you go back and you find it. And she's talking about cryptocurrencies in general. That would mean Bitcoin and Ethereum and all of the meme coins and such that are out there. So she's talking now about the three forms of digital money. She's saying CBDC will be the most secure because it's backed by the state. Stable coins are secure if they're backed by the fiat dollars, but not if they're not. She calls them unstable coins or not so stable coins. And then you'll have cryptocurrencies, which she says they're not behind. Now, my personal belief, and this is my opinion, and eventually one day we'll investigate it, is that the entire crypto space was created with the backing of the state and the central banks and everything that has been built and developed, the framework, the infrastructure, the technology was all done to bring us to the point of central bank digital currency. So all these markets, all of these wallets that are out there, this was all created for the purpose of developing the underlying technology that brings us to central bank digital currency. That is my personal opinion. Not to say you can't make money on it, you can't swing trade it. I'm not advising you to do that. I know friends of mine that have had made made money on it. They take uh, U.S. dollars, they put it in, they buy some Bitcoin, they wait for it to go up or go down, depending on how they're betting, and then they pull their cash back out and they make a profit, just like day trading stocks. Not to say you can't do that, folks, but I think this whole system was developed for the purpose of driving us into central bank digital currency, and I think. That is a reasonable argument to make, considering that we see the technologists that were behind setting all this stuff up. And I'm not talking about uh, Satoki Ashimoto, this mysterious Japanese guy who created Bitcoin. I don't believe that story. Uh, It's like telling me to believe in Santa Claus or the Easter Bunny. I'm just not going to do it. Um, And so all these other guys like Vitalak Buterin that were funded by Peter Thiel, they're all tied into the system. They're all working for the government and government contracts. They're all working for the central banks. So you're not going to tell me it started for freedom and liberty and human autonomy and uh, prosperity and to fight the government and fight the banks when all these guys are now working for the government and working for the banks. I'm just not going to buy it. I will never push that story. And I'm going to be open and honest. It is my opinion. And we'll further investigate that in the future. Ladies and gentlemen, when I get back more from the World Economic Forum, CBDC, panel discussion from june 2022 my name is dustin gold this is the dustin gold standard and you are listening to pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to pain.tv slash gold. My name is Dustin Gold, and this is the Dustin Gold Standard. All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's jump right back into this. We are watching the World Economic Forum June 26, 2022 conference on central bank digital currency. We are returning to uh, Chris, Crystalina. She is the 
uh, managing director of the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, and she is talking right now about the three forms of digital currency, central bank digital currency, stable coins, and uh, cryptocurrencies in general. Let's return to her. Um, and I want to go to the third universe, the, the crypto that is really not pretending to be backed up by anything, not designed to be backed, backed, backed up by anything. It is really the trust that is built in a way that brings value, it is an investment class. When we say, I always get upset and then I get occasional hate tweets. When I say that Bitcoin may be called coin, but it's not money. Why? Because a prerequisite for something to be money is to be a stable store of value. So you actually can plan around it. And when, uh, the first country embraced Bitcoin, and I was asked, what did we think at the fund? I said, well, it's a sovereign decision. Doesn't make it a good decision. And now we have another country that You actually that said to me, just that. because you can doesn't mean you should. Yes. And I'll never forget that. But. Yes, that's very true. <laughs> so uh, my, my point here is that they are very important responsibilities for the central banks and also for other regulators, regulators of financial services, regulators of these asset class, to make sure that everybody can step into this world with some confidence that we understand that for CBDCs, the biggest question is interoperability. How are they going to connect to each other? But for stable coins, for um, crypto assets, it is responsibility for some regulation and financial education. I would beg you not to pull out of the importance of this world because of what Julia said. It offers us all faster service, much lower cost and more inclusion. But only if we separate apples from oranges and bananas okay folks this woman is the managing director of the international monetary fund does she does she and i know many of you are just listening to the audio side of this um you could check us out at pain.tv slash gold if you want to watch the video uh does she instill confidence and faith and trust in this system i'm serious i'm serious does she instill confidence and stability and trust in this system now she was talking about interoperability and what she's referring to there uh, in my research, this would be cross-border interoperability and being able to work within different systems across different borders. Now, Wide Awake Jim is going to come on. He is going to talk about how they need to have it all working across all 194 countries. From what I've seen, that's not the case. 
uh, that doesn't need to be done. Now, what he's saying here in the United States is that they are going to have to pass, Congress is going to have to pass, the legislative branch of government is going to have to pass certain laws, uh, certain regulations and stuff to be able to get this done. Now, as we saw here a couple of episodes ago, we almost passed the CBDC and a digital wallet under the first stimulus bill back in March uh, 2020, at the end of March 2020. It was almost done. We know that Trump's top advisor, Jared Kushner, was looking into CBDC. We know that Fed Chairman Jerome Powell has been uh, toying around with CBDC. So we know this is all happening at the highest levels of government. We know that the Biden administration put out an executive order, I think 14067, on the development of CBDC. Many subsequent papers go along with that. So we see it coming. Now, I I would say to Jim respectfully, and I will when he's on the show, and we talk all the time, but if uh, he was on the show, I'd say respectfully, one, at this stage in the history of our government, where we're at today, many of which believe we're not operating by the so-called Constitution, many of which believe the Constitution obviously has no authority because it hasn't stopped everything that's occurred. Uh, A few people like myself that believe we're operating under a quasi-technocracy, basically a technocracy with an illusion of representative government. I would say that at this point, laws are merely a formality. I don't think we're governed uh, by a constitution any longer. And I think because of the so-called public-private partnership, of which World Economic Forum constantly organizes, of which Donald Trump helped uh, launch that into the lexicon here under COVID land, the high school theater production, the beautiful public-private partnership, unbelievable people, great people. We come together, love the public, love the private, fantastic people, tremendous, so incredible people, so great. I would never say this, but other people have said public-private partnership, greatest gift that God ever created since me since trump since trump i'm the greatest gift public private partnerships are the second greatest gift god on the eighth day made public private partnerships and then he rested he went back to the green room he smoked a benson and hedges cigarette he said i'm done i created the public private partnership so incredible on day one he created trump on day eight public private partnership everything in between not so great not so great but day one and day eight so incredible and one plus eight is nine and if you flip the nine upside down it is six if you take three of those you have six 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 so incredible so beautiful but now so laws at this point ladies and gentlemen are merely a formality and so i've said this to jim i know maria albanese co-host of the thomas Paine podcast on friday said to jim i don't know do they really need laws or do you at least believe that congress isn't going to pass it if the central banks wants it done if the central banks wants the law passed if the federal reserve wants the law passed to allow these folks to push forward with a central bank digital currency then it is going to be done folks it is going to be done so when we return tomorrow all right for episode 107 i'm not going to open up with any articles i promise i have lots of stuff in the queue but i want to get through the rest of this 
this World Economic Forum panel discussion tomorrow in episode 107, because then I've got to do the International Monetary Fund video, and I've got to do the uh, Bank for International Settlements video, and then this United Nations video, and then we're going to look at a couple of videos from Joseph Lubin, the uh, head of Consensus. And so we're going to go through that tomorrow on 107. There are so many nuggets in this panel discussion. You are going to see the governor of the Bank of France, that's Francois, Frank, uh, who is going to talk about their timeline. And he says that they should have a euro central bank digital currency in full mainstream circulation uh, by the end of 2026, beginning of 2026. 27. So I have to lay all this stuff out so that we can go over it with Wide Awake Jim and then connect it into the research he's doing, of which I'm quite interested uh, in him explaining. Because so far he sent me about 150 documents between PDFs, uh, screen grabs, and everything else. He told me, I don't know what order we're going to do them in. So I started going through some of this. And Jim is great at explaining this material. So I think when we combine it in with what we're doing over here, we will have all the stuff we got from the technology side of this. We're going to have this coming out of the bankers and the bureaucrats. And then we'll combine in what Jim has. And again, we'll be able to paint a pretty big picture, a pretty clear picture of exactly what it is we're dealing with, uh, when it's going to be rolled out, and then I think we can start to look at solutions and talk about what people are going to do with their savings, what you're going to do with your checking account, uh, what you're going to do if you have a lot of cash on hand, what you do about investments, 401ks, IRAs, and stuff like that. I mean, that's eventually where I want to go because I do want to talk about solutions for people. And again, everyone is going to have a different solution to their problems because we all have different problems. We all have different goals. We're all on different uh, scales at times in our life different points in our life you know there's people listening to this that are 20 years old people like me that are 40 years old people that are 60 years old so everyone is up against a different timeline uh right now my main position my main objective is to figure this out for my son william who's three and a half weeks old uh what's it going to look like when he's 18 how is the world going to be set up how can i help teach him uh, advise him, train him to be able to make his way through this crazy coming world. So for those of you with children and grandchildren out there, I think you're probably listening for the same reason. Because I'm 41, and to be honest, it's not about me anymore. It's about my child. Uh, I'm not really interested in ever retiring to Disney World and playing golf for the rest of my life, so I don't have to worry about that. But I would like to be able to uh, support my child until they're ready to go off on their own and get them ready to be able to go out out and conquer this world and to be able to sur- uh, not just survive, but to be able to thrive in this world. So ladies and gentlemen, take away today, you know this Ethereum breaking the back of the banks and the uh, government is a lie. Uh, they've got 50% of Ethereum runoff of Amazon Web Services who's contracted with the CIA, the NSA, the entire intelligence community, as well as the central banks. They're all working together as one giant system. It's all a scam. It's 
it's all a scheme and it's all designed to drive us into the system of total control central bank digital currency which will control the means of production and the distribution of goods and services ladies and gentlemen keep fighting back keep spreading this show educate yourself whether it be here on the thomas Paine podcast legal man show the quash all the different guests who've come out here seek out the people that are telling you the truth the people telling you what you need to hear not just what you want to hear ladies and gentlemen i am dustin gold with the dustin gold standard right here on pain.tv slash gold the matrix is a computer generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being you're listening to the dustin gold standard on pain.tv Join the discussion at pain.tv slash gold.